0: Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover chlamydia infection in females. Chlamydial infection is the most frequently reported infectious disease in the United States, and prevalence is highest in persons aged less than 24 years. Several sequelae can result from chlamydia trachomatis infection in women, the most serious of which is PID, ectopic pregnancy, and infertility. Some women who receive a diagnosis of uncomplicated cervical infection already have subclinical upper reproductive tract infection asymptomatic infection is common among both men and women. To detect chlamydial infections, healthcare providers frequently rely on screening tests. Annual screening of all sexually active women aged less than 25 years is recommended by the CDC and ACOG, as is screening of older women considered at high risk for infection. Although chlamydia incidence might be higher in some women aged greater than 25 years, in some communities, overall, the largest burden of infection is among women aged less than 25 years. All right, so here's the clinical pearl. Although ACOG and the CDC recommends annual screening of all sexually active women aged 25 years or under, it's a little bit different for men. Although evidence is insufficient to recommend routine screening for chlamydia in sexually active young men because of several factors like feasibility, efficacy, and cost-effectiveness, the screening of sexually active young men should be considered in clinical settings with a high prevalence of chlamydia, like adolescent clinics, correctional facilities, and STD clinics, or in populations with high burden of infection, like men who have intercourse with men. Now, among women, the primary focus of chlamydial screening efforts should be to detect chlamydia, prevent complications, and test and treat their partners, whereas targeted chlamydia screening in men should only be considered when resources permit. Prevalence is high, and such screening does not hinder chlamydia screening efforts in women. More frequent screening for some women, like adolescents, or certain men, like men who have sex with men, might be indicated. All right. Well, let's get into diagnostic considerations. Chlamydia trachomatis urogenital infection can be diagnosed in women by testing first catch urine or collecting a specimen from the endocervix or the vagina. NATs, that's a nucleic acid amplification tests, are the most sensitive tests for these specimens and therefore are recommended for detecting chlamydial infection. NATs that are FDA cleared for use with vaginal swab specimens can be collected by a provider or self-collected in a clinical setting. All right, well, let's give out another clinical pearl here. Although the swab of the endocervix and the vagina are equivalent, and although a first catch urine is recommended as well, it's important to note that in some cases, the first catch urine can miss up to 10% of cervical vaginal infections. Now, we'll cover treatment in just a minute, but after treatment, a test of cure to detect therapeutic failure, which usually implies like a repeat test in three or four weeks, is not advised for persons treated with the recommended or alternative treatment regimen, which we'll get into in a minute, unless the patient is pregnant. In pregnancy, a test of cure is recommended since the complications of chlamydial infection can be passed to a neonate. So once again, although a test of cure is not recommended in the general sense, in the psychological population, it is recommended three to four weeks after treatment in the pregnant population. Now, in the gynecological population, although a test of cure in the traditional sense, meaning a repeat test in three to four weeks, is not advised, that's different than checking for reinfection. Men and women who have been treated for chlamydia should be retested about three months after treatment, regardless of whether they believe that their sex partners were treated or whether they were exposed or not. If retesting at 3 months is not possible, clinicians should retest whenever persons next present for medical care within the 12-month period following initial treatment. Once again, testing for a test of cure in the gynecological population is not recommended, but retreatment for reinfection at 3 months is. During pregnancy, test of cure, which is repeat testing at 3-4 to weeks after completing initial treatment, is, however, recommended. All right, we've covered a lot of stuff. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about treatment and then we'll give pregnancy considerations. Treating persons infected with chlamydia trachomatis prevents adverse reproductive health complications and continued sexual transmission, and treating their sex partners can prevent reinfection and infection of other partners. Treating pregnant women usually prevents transmission of chlamydia trachomatis to neonates during birth. Chlamydia treatment should be provided promptly for all persons testing positive for infection. Treatment delays has been associated with complications like PID in those studied. Okay, so the recommended treatment for chlamydia trachomatis is azithromycin, or zithromax, 1 gram orally in a single dose, or doxycycline, 100 milligrams orally twice a day for 7 days. Zithromax and doxycycline are the two recommended regimens. Alternative regimens include erythromycin base, erythromycin ethylsuccinate, levofloxacin, or ofloxacin. Okay, so here's a clinical pearl. Chlamydial infection is still recommended to have single-agent therapy, whereas gonorrheal infection with Neisseria gonorrhoeae is dual-agent therapy, according to the CDC, and that's because of an increase in resistance to Neisseria gonorrhoeae. Once again, Zithromax is given as a single dose, whereas doxycycline, the other recommended regimen, or all of the alternative regimens of erythromycin base, esylsuccinase, or levofloxacin or ofloxacin are all given for 7 days days sex partners of those infected should be referred for evaluation, testing, and presumptive treatment if they have had sexual contact with the partner during the 60 days preceding the patient's own symptoms of chlamydial diagnosis. Now, although the exposure intervals defined for the identification of at-risk sex partners are based on limited data, the most recent sex partners should be evaluated and treated even if the time of the last sexual contact was greater than 60 days before symptom onset or diagnosis. Okay, as we start getting to the end of this podcast, let's come right back and talk about pregnancy considerations. Prenatal screening and treatment of pregnant women is the best method for preventing chlamydial infection among neonates. Now, chlamydia during pregnancy is known to result in pre-labor rupture of membranes, and preterm birth. Now, chlamydia trachomatis infection of neonates results from perinatal exposure to the mother's infected cervix. Although the efficacy of neonatal ocular prophylaxis with erythromycin ophthalmic ointment to prevent chlamydia ophthalmia is not clear, ocular prophylaxis with these agents does prevent gonococcal ophthalmia and therefore should be administered. So that's a clinical pearl erythromycin ophthalmic ointment to the eyes of the babies is really to prevent gonococcal infection, and the best way to prevent chlamydial infection of the eye is by identification and treatment of the mother. Doxycycline is contraindicated in the second and third trimesters of pregnancy, and although human data suggests that ofloxacin and levofloxacin present a low risk to the fetus during pregnancy, but with some toxicity during breastfeeding, animal studies do raise concern about these meds about cartilage damage to the neonates. So, alternative drugs should be used to treat chlamydia in pregnancy. The recommended regimen is Zithromax 1 gram in a single dose, with the alternative regimens being Amoxicillin, erythromycin base, or erythromycin ethyl succinate. Now, the test of cure is recommended in pregnancy. Remember, it was not recommended at three to four weeks in the non-pregnant population. However, test of cure to document chlamydial eradication by a NAT, that's nucleic acid, amplification test three to four weeks after completion of treatment is recommended because severe sequelae can occur in mothers and neonates if the infection persists. Now, in addition, all pregnant women who have chlamydial infection diagnosed should be retested again at three months after treatment, just like in the non-pregnant population. Now, during pregnancy, a quick word about erythromycin. Remember that the alternative regimens includes erythromycin base and erythromycin ethylsuccinate. However, erythromycin estolate is contraindicated during pregnancy because of drug-related hepatotoxicity concerns. Once again, erythromycin base and ethylsuccinate are okay in pregnancy, but erythromycin estolate is contraindicated and should not be given in pregnancy. All right, well, let's wrap up this podcast with a quick review of the microbiology of chlamydia. Remember that chlamydia trachmatis is a diverse group, with chlamydia trachmatis serovars L1, L2, and L3 causing lymphogranuloma venarium, or LGV, a completely separate clinical situation than the cervicitis and PID picture that we're discussing here. The life cycle of Chlamydia trachomatis consists of two stages, the elementary body and the reticulate body. The elementary body is a dispersal form, which is analogous to a spore. In other words, that's the infectious type. The dispersal form is about 0.3 microns in diameter and induces its own endocytosis upon exposure to target cells. It is this form that prevents the phagolysosomal fusion, which then allows Allows for intracellular survival of the bacterium. Now, once inside the endosome, the elementary body then germinates into the reticulate body as a result of the glycogen that's produced. The reticulate body divides through binary fission at about two to three hours per generation. The cell body has an incubation period of about 7 to 21 days in the host. It contains no cell wall and is detectable as an inclusion in the cell. Now after division, the reticulate body transforms back to the elementary body and it's released again by the cell after it ruptures by exocytosis. Lastly, remember that screening is vital because the pathophysiology of this infection is very indolent, non-aggressive, with about 70 to 75% of infected women having no symptoms at all. If symptoms are present, it can include foul, malodorous discharge, white or abnormal vaginal discharge, vulvovaginal vaginal itching, pelvic pain, or even dysuria. Once infected into the cervix, if left untreated, it can result in subclinical metritis. Infection of the endometrial lining by chlamydia can result in uterine tenderness, painful intercourse, and altered or abnormal menstrual bleeding. Well, that wraps up our podcast covering genital tract female chlamydial infection. Pharyngeal and other sites non-genital are not discussed in this podcast as it's outside of the area of OBGYN.